Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. When we look at investment scams, for example, and investment scams is probably my number one concern, and it was last year in the previous year as well, because that's the area that's really increasing in volume. So investment scams are relatively small in number in terms of being reported, but are, but are usually very high in terms of the loss. So if you go back to the ACCC report um, from last year, um, the investment scams were sitting around 60 to 65 million in terms of the losses from investment scams, we're dating a romance of 28 million. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slesher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today, once again, we have Julian Hun from Deloitte. Hi, Julian. How are you doing? Hi, Kwame. How are you? Um, so today, I think um, we're going to have a bit of a conversation around scams and fraud and a bit of an update, really. And I think we would start by having a discussion about the latest um, ACCC scam report. Uh, so... I guess, judging from that report and what you have seen, what are some of the things that, I guess, are sort of high up on your radar? Look, I think the main thing, Kwame, is really, um, is obviously COVID. Um, COVID-19, the, obviously the current pandemic. Um, we've seen many different uh, natural disasters and um, other aspects globally that have had an impact on on frauds and scams and certainly aspects of deception, but, but this, is, uh, this is more notable. Um, and one of the reasons I say that, because many of the global regulators have jumped on board and, um, and they're certainly highlighting some of the risks and concerns. So, for example, we've seen, we've seen a recent uh, report by, um, submitted by Austrac mm-hmm. to its reporting entities. Uh, we've seen FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, released an interesting report. Um, ACCC recently released a report around scams and fraud. Um, they do that every 12 months, but it's certainly noteworthy looking at the contents of this particular report. We've seen a lot of um, articles um, coming out from ATO and state and federal governments around the world. So uh, as a result of this pandemic, obviously the governments and the regulators are extremely concerned that, that, that frauds are on the, up, um, on the uptick. And, and we're seeing a lot of, um, I suppose, dishonest activity and um, a lot of vulnerable people taking, um, being taken advantage of. So there's a, it's an interesting landscape, uh, more so than the previous years. But look, it's, un, it's unfortunate because you do see an increase in scams and fraud when there's you know, um, natural disasters or when there's things like a pandemic, for example. People jump on board. Um, there's obviously human emotions at play. There's a lot of vulnerability out there around employment. So if you look at COVID, for example, um, and if you look at what's going on in the landscape, uh, many people have lost their jobs. <clears throat> they're financially drained. Uh, they're working from home. So there's a lot of opportunities for fraudsters, you know, to really take advantage of the current environment. Um, so it's it's unfortunate. Um, but one thing I do like to mention quite a lot of is, is around a, a scam and, and what is a scam. Because many um, financial crime practitioners kind of just look at a scam and think it's kind of a petty crime per se. But it's important to note a scam is a fraud. Yeah. It's a fraud because there, there is a level of deception and dishonesty involved. And um, certainly the more serious types of scams and frauds are um, absolutely a predicate crime to money laundering as well. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, the sort of the ACCC piece, and obviously because... Um, I think when I looked at the website last, they indicated that they received about 3,000 
160 reports related to the pandemic amounting to a million losses. Um, I'm not sure if that was a part of the actual report they released or if that was just an update. Um, so yes, it's good to have that COVID angle. Uh, so I, I like that bit that you also said about remembering that scam is a fraud. And I do think there is a perception of them being, you sort of separate them in your head. You know, when you're thinking of AML in that space, you're thinking of fraud and anti-money laundering and financial crime. And then sometimes you think of scams as more uh, as something else. And I think before we started this interview, you, you mentioned romance scams. So it, it always seems like it's these separate, separate things. Um, do you think that when organizations set up their GRC programs that they are treating them in this way as well? and potentially creating silos of information? Uh, possibly, uh, possibly, and certainly from my experience, there is a kind of a silo mentality in terms of both um, thinking and application in the GRC frameworks. And, and I suppose where I'm going with that is you can have fraud and then you have financial crime, then you have scams. And, and scams is obviously an element of fraud, but probably not taken as seriously as you know, as the more serious aspects of fraud. But essentially all scams are fraud, just a different level. So if you look at the typical Nigerian scam, which is called the four, I think it's a 419 scam. Yeah. That's just so prolific. It's, it's basically there's thousands and thousands of emails going around every day. And a typical Nigerian scam is I am a king of so-and-so and I have to get X amount of money out of the country. Can you please help me? It's so common now that regulators are saying, don't even bother submitting an SMR. Don't even bother reporting it because it is so common. Um, so it's really important to distinguish between the types of scams and the volumes of scams that are reported and then understanding the actual scams by loss. Because this is, this is an area that people do lose touch, uh, touch with. And it's, it's like you can have identity theft or you can have um, maybe emails or phishing scams, for example. Yeah. And, and a phishing scam is extremely high volume in terms of the number of phishing scams out there and the number of attacks. But the actual loss on a phishing scam is relatively small. Well, if you look at investment scams, for example, and investment scams is probably my number one concern, and it was last year and the previous year as well, because that's the area that's really increasing in volume. So investment scams are relatively small in number in terms of being reported, but are, but are usually very high in terms of the loss. So if you go back to the ACCC report um, from last year, um, the investment scams were sitting around 60 to 65 million in terms of the losses from investment scams, we're dating a romance of 28 million. Mm. So they're relatively high numbers and they make up a size or percentage of the, of the overall um, amounts reported to the scam watch, which is, which is part of ACCC. So there's about 143 million uh, reported to um, scam, scam watch last year and the investment scam has made up 61 million of that. So that's, you know, that's a significant number. It's nearly 50% of all... Um, of all reported losses uh, throughout Australia. So, and that's increasing substantially as well. And if you compare that to 2018, the overall went from about 107 to 143. So you're looking at about a 35 to 40% increase year on year in terms of scams and investment scams has made up a large percentage of that. Um, and, and for me, that's probably one of the main areas that, that probably businesses and individuals need to be conscious of. The romance scams on the other hand, they're, they're coming in second in terms of losses. They're sitting around the 30 million. So they're still quite substantial, 30 million over about 140 million. Yeah. Um, but two different spectrums. Investment scams, you usually find it's males um, around the ages 40 to 50 who are being conned. And, and surprisingly, the, the victims are, are middle-aged males, professionals. 
and what they're looking for is, is a quick return, a quick win. And they're investing money into various schemes and platforms, not fully understand the risk and obviously not doing their due diligence. Well, on the flip side, if you look at dating and romance scams, the victims are traditionally females. Mm-hmm. The age is around 45 to around 60. Um, and what they're doing is they're playing more on the, I suppose, the human emotions and the vulnerability. So it's, you know, it's, it's really important to look at the scams and then break the scams down according to gender, down to types of scams, and also down to ages as well. Because the, the, the perpetrators out there are targeting Pacific, um, Pacific people and Pacific categories of age as well. Where fishing, for example, is literally everybody. It's yeah. just bombarding. It's just massive in terms of mass marketing. But when you focus on the, on the, two, on the two highest scams by loss, their investment scams and dating romance scams, what they're doing is focusing on a particular type of person, be it male, female, and, and be a particular age as well. Mm. So one of the things that was mentioned a few times um, throughout the AML Financial Crimes Congress last week is the changed behavior um, of many of the scammers in terms of how they're approaching people. And obviously many of the scam, the investment scams, romance scams and stuff you've mentioned, stuff that's obviously pre-existed the pandemic. Um, is there any clues to how these behaviors have started to change to meet this new environment? Um, look, I think that's a, well, actually, that's a really good question. And yes, and hence, hence why we're seeing a lot of um, concern and a lot of communication from, the, um, from both the Australian regulators and the international bodies as well. And for FATF to come out and, and, and intentionally write a, a piece around COVID and around AML links and connections is just really demonstrates in terms of how serious this actually is. So what we're seeing is, and I touched on the, on the types of typologies. So what we're seeing is obviously working from home, we're seeing unemployment, we're seeing people who have really lost a lot of money in terms of the stock market. If you go back to March, you know, in some countries in Australia, I think we saw 35%, 40% drop in the ASX 200. And certainly for, for pensioners, um, you know, for the older generation who are looking at retiring, that's a, that's a large percentage of their superannuation have lost in, in literally a couple of weeks. So it's looking at ways of recouping those funds. And, and one of the ways of recouping those funds is obviously looking for high-risk investments. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a number of things you need to consider. Working from home, obviously vulnerability. Yeah. Working from home, so there's isolation. Isolation can be that maybe they're lonely. Um, and, you know, touching on that point, we've seen obviously a lot of um, um, human emotions at play, you know, possible divorces, uh, domestic violence. So, so there's, there's a lot of human emotion involved in, you know, in these types of issues, and especially with this um, disconnection from society. Obviously, a lot more um, activity um, and dealings with email and over the phone. And as a result of that, there's much more, there, there's many more opportunities to be hacked. And also in terms of, you know, remote um, access scams and hacking um, and false billing, etc. And then you have, and then you have the other scams that, that are really playing playing on the peripheral and that's like um fake medicine so for, for, so for example there's there's right. a large number of scams out there talking about you know they found um cures to to covert and uh there's fake medicine that, that you can purchase and blah 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 um and, and people people obviously jumping at that and taking advantage of that yeah and there, there was really interesting one which track touched on um at the grc conference last week and, and, I've, and i've read about this as well which is around the puppy scams um, and it's, it's, it's actually, 
It's actually quite roaring. And essentially how Puppy Scam works is obviously people are lonely. They want to, um, you know, buy animals to obviously cheer them up and have some company. They then go out on the internet. They find particular, you know, like a particular breed and they put a deposit down for that breed. It can be whatever whatever type of dog. And as a result, they uh, they transfer that deposit mm-hmm. and that, that, that dog never arrives. And, um, you know, that's that... that that's a pretty, that's a pretty common, um, pretty common scam now that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all around that loneliness, working from home, um, employment, financial situation, fake medicine. So the environment, the landscape has changed significantly, and what they're doing is playing on people's on people's emotions, and and on that point, it's, it's really important to note too that when we talk about the number of reports being submitted. Be it to the banks or or be it to um, Scam Watch or the various um, agencies, both in Australia and globally, yeah. they're actually only a very very small number compared to the um, well, compared to the the number that are actually or the number of people that have actually been scammed. And there's talk out there that there's probably a third to half of people who have been scammed um, have not have not actually reported it. And if you, if you look at that investment scams, um, that's a very 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 high number of unreported. Um, scams because people are too embarrassed and also the um, back to the um, back to the um, the romance scams obviously someone who's been scammed over a period of time and paid a lot of money to someone that really doesn't exist is it can be quite embarrassing as well so where I'm going with this is we're only talking about the number of scams that are reported yeah um, and I suspect that number is going to increase substantially in terms of the in terms of the ones that have not been reported because of the um, because of the COVID. So, with having that large percentage of unreported scams, and of course, there's a sort of fluidity to topologies. I would imagine as the situation changes, um, how does an organisation who could potentially be implicated in a particular fraud or scam, whether it is because a version of an email has been cloned or something like that, how can organisations protect themselves in this kind of situation? Look, the main one is really awareness. And some of these scams are really straightforward. I mean, there's, there's obviously some scams out there and some investment scams that are extremely complicated. But many of these scams is, you know, if you just do your own research and due diligence, um, you would like to think that you can really get your head around to see to understand what's going on. So for me, and banks have actually been doing this really well and financial institutions and also insurance companies and even the ATO I've seen come out, mm-hmm. is really making their, um, their clients, their customers aware and much of this has to be around awareness, you know, the, you know, the dating and romance scams, the investment scams, et cetera. Um, so the awareness is absolutely key. That's the, that's the number one control and number one um, defence. Um, the second part is really around the identity theft um, because important to note that, that many people out there talk about scams and, you know, you may lose a bit of money or this may happen, but actually there are strong correlations between scams, fraud, money laundering and terrorist financing and yeah. other aspects of, of financial crimes as well. So just just being having a successful phishing attempt and actually going into one of those links and providing information, automatically you've got identity theft. And that's essentially what they're doing. So the identity theft is obviously just trying to get someone's identity and then using that as a precursor to commit another offence. So I think to answer your question, and there's many different ways um, that, that obviously can help 
prevent this sort of activity. And, and banks are really good now around their internal fraud systems in yep. terms of identifying anything unusual. But, but I think much of it has to fall on the victims and the victims have to become aware and certainly improve their awareness. And, and, and this, is, this is why the ACCC come out, you know, mm-hmm. with these reports. Um, and many of these scams can actually be avoided. And as I say, the phishing scam, you know, if there's an attachment there, if there's a link, just don't go into it. Um, it's very, well, banks will not contact you um, and, uh, and basically ask for information. They, they, they may ask you for information, but you'll have to log in through your normal channels as opposed to a link. So end of the day, much of it can be around just general awareness. And, and from what I've seen, I think many of the organisations and many of the large financial institutions are doing a really good job around that. Um, that's, that's the first line uh, of defence. The second line, as I say, really these victims have to take responsibility and just really do their own research. And some of these investment scams are pretty straightforward, right? If, if you're talking about high returns over a short period of time with zero risk, obviously that's got red flags all over it. Yeah. Um, and one of the concerns I have is the younger generation. You know, they're expecting returns of 20, 30, 40% per annum. And that's just not realistically year, it's just not realistic year on year. So really ask the question, really, you know, do your research and just, just, go, on, just go on to ASIC and see if this, this organisation exists, just see if they're registered. If, if they're overseas, then obviously that's a red flag because, you know, a typical investment scam could be a boiler room and, you know, these boiler rooms who, who sell penny stocks or stocks that don't even exist mm-hmm. are usually based in Europe or Spain or, you know, Hong Kong or something. So... If you're dealing with investments, if you're dealing with investment, it's overseas with no Australian presence, it's not ASIC regulated, and they're offering high returns, um, you know, quick win, then that's just kind of common sense, avoid it. Right, right. Uh, now, are there any particular, so obviously you said that banks and sort of financial institutions have a, a relatively good handle on this from their perspective, and they and the, I do get the emails from my bank, you know, warning me about certain types of emails that are going around. Um, but are there any industries that are particularly susceptible to or don't have the right protections in place or don't do a good job of informing their customer base about the potential scams that might be going around? Um, I certainly think the banks are obviously, you know, they've been dealing this space for a very, very long time. So, um, you know, their technology, I think, is in a, is in a pretty good position. Um, interestingly, my son transferred money to a, just to a platform, as a foreign exchange platform last week. It was only a small amount. But the bank uh, made contact with him immediately and explained to him, look, it is high risk, even though it was obviously regulated and licensed. So the banks are very good in this space. Uh, the technology around fraud and, um, and any you know, red flags built into their um, detection scenarios are actually are pretty good. The insurance companies, and I think, mm-hmm. I think more importantly, recently we've seen a lot of, um, and look, I'm not in the industry, but from what I've been reading, um, superannuation companies, um, are yeah. certainly at, at risk. And now, obviously, superannuation companies, because we are seeing government assistance, we're obviously seeing um, people being allowed to take um, $10,000 out pre, uh, pre well, 2019, 2020, for yeah. superannuation, uh, 10000 per year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would argue from what I've been reading, and, and certainly Austrack's come out with this as well, uh, the superannuation is is a big area to really be focusing on your, focusing your attention around those sort of scams and around, um, obviously accessing someone's personal details and then trying to arrange you know transfers from that superannuation fund in, in, into into a third party account. 
Uh, I think the super funds, from what I, from my understanding, of, are pretty robust in this space, but historically yeah. they haven't been. But there's a lot of work going in the background in terms of you know the, the things they need to be looking out for. And predominantly, it's going to be around phishing and identity theft, with the with the intention to obviously transferring funds out of their super account. Okay, uh, and just on super funds and coming down to the end here, um, I know that. I was tracked a, an industry risk report on super funds, and I think they were rated at medium risk. Um, with um, the government assistance and people having more access and the potential scam and frauds in that particular space, do you still think they're sitting at medium risk, or do you think that there might be a more of a high risk situation here from a sort of financial crime, terrorist financing perspective? It depends on which way you look. Which way you look at it? Um, I have read the report, but it's I think it's a couple of years old now. Yeah. So they talk about the vulnerability and the controls, etc. So um, the environment has changed. So if we go back to the GRC um, Financial Crime Conference we did last week, if we go back to to the panel on the risk assessments, obviously the environment has changed substantially for um, for everybody but especially for superannuation funds because um, because obviously people can access you know um, the those um, those those payments now of ten ten thousand and in total in total it's around twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So so I so I think the risk has increased substantially internally for superannuation funds in terms of knowing your customer and yeah. understanding um, are you are you dealing with the right person? I I don't think the um, I think we're still seeing the you know the types of risks and um, vulnerabilities out there, but obviously with the landscape increasing and with the ATO and Austrac um, allowing the, the, the withdrawal of those funds, obviously internally the superannuation funds and their compliance teams will certainly have to have to reconsider the risk assessment. Um, and, and many parts of that will be, you know, really looking into the risk assessment in terms of early payments. And what does that mean? And truly identifying their customers and ensuring those payments are being paid into that customer's account. I'm not really close enough to to how they operate, but um, for me, that would clearly indicate a trigger for risk assessment, and it would certainly require an update to the risk assessment and understand the vulnerabilities around that. And last question, and I guess it all comes down to none of your processes are going to sort of work and make sense if you don't have access to the right information. So how can an organization sort of stay up to date with I guess, the shifting risks um, and topologies in the space? Oh, look, as I mentioned initially, there, there is copious amounts of information out there. Uh, this report we've been referring to, the ACCC report, comes out every June. It's a fantastic read. It really indicates in terms of, you know, how things, have, how things are looking, how things are changing. Um, you know, if, so, for example, you know, the cryptocurrency investment scams is quite common now. Um, we're seeing a lot of that, and, and that's... And that's picked up in the last year or two. So, so we're seeing new types of scams, um, which, is, which is obviously increasing due to technology. So the first place I'd be going to would be the ACCC. This is for Australia. Yeah. Understand, the, understand the types of scams and understanding those conversion rates. And, and what I mean by the conversion rate is the number of reports that have been submitted versus the actual loss. So we know the conversion rate for phishing where there's about 25,000 reports submitted with a loss of about 1 million, that's a very, very low conversion rate. You know, it could be 2%, but if we go to investment scams, the reports are substantially less, they're around 5,000, but the loss is around 60 million. So you know, working on that, there's around a 42%. So it's, it's clearly a, um, it's, you really have to keep abreast of what's going on. 
um, you know, in the environment. And the ACCC provides really good information in, ter- in terms of the types of scams, the reports, and the losses in those scams. And also about the new things to be mindful of. So cryptocurrencies, gift cards, for example. So we're not necessarily seeing cash being moved or bank transfers. You know, we're now moving to gift cards. We're now moving to, in, into Bitcoin, for example. So um, yeah. these are the sort of channels that, that they're using as opposed to, um, you know, um, historical payments and cash payments. So the ACCC, absolutely. Um, Austrack released, as I mentioned, the paper back in, I think it was April, May time. And in terms of reporting entity, you really need to be, you really have to take this stuff seriously. And um, and I did talk about this last week in the conference in that if Austrack and the regulators are coming out with notices, make sure you read that notice and make sure you consider what that notice actually means for you and make sure you do a risk assessment. So we know there's been a significant increase on online child pornography. And and, and that's come out from FATF, that's come out from, from Austrack. Therefore, if you're reporting entity, you know, um, think about that in terms of what does that mean for you in terms of payments? Um, you know, we've seen an increase in ransomware. Um, what does that mean for you? So it's there's copious amounts of information out there um, that you can use uh, and, 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 and that should be used as triggers to firstly update your risk assessment and secondly, um, a piece of education as well and then use that as a marketing piece to, um, to update your update your, your clients and your customers wherever they may be in terms of what to be looking out for. All right, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Julian. No problems at all. Thank you, Kwame. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.